Welcome back, Ag Watchers. We have got a special guest with us today. It must be politicians' time, uh, Andrew, because we've got another politician. We had one <laughs> last week, and now we've got Federal Senator Raf Chacon on, and he is Deputy Whip for the for the uh, government in the Senate. So um, we might get you to explain a little bit for those that aren't aware what the Deputy Whip does, or the Whips in general do in, this, in there, and also just a little bit about yourself, Raf, and then we'll go into... Uh, the, deep, the deep dive. <laughs> yeah. No, look, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks for having me on. Um, look, you're right. It must be politician season after the federal election and the change of government. Um, but it's, it's a good problem to have uh, been in government now and been able to, I guess, implement, I guess, our vision for, for the economy, for the country, and I guess today about agriculture as well. Um, I have multiple roles um, since the election. Um, I was the deputy whip for the opposition and now the deputy whip for the government uh, in the Senate. And, and and being a whip actually is a pretty important role, particularly during sitting patterns um, in our parliamentary calendar that gets released at the end of the year for the following year. Um, it, it will list about 20 weeks of the year where we have to come to Canberra and, and uh, not just deal with legislation, but a variety of other motions and also committee meetings. And as a whip, um, I have to make sure that our members and senators, particularly um, Kim and I'm a senator, I just manage the, the Senate um, and the senators to turn up when there are divisions on a bill or a motion or when we have uh, things like a suspension of standing orders or other uh, motions that happen within the chamber. So whenever the bells go off, everyone has to go to the chamber and as a whip, uh, provide those senators with advice in terms of how our party is voting on certain uh, matters. Um, we also have a requirement to ensure that there are enough people speaking on, on bills. So the WHIP's job is also to make sure we have enough people who are interested in certain policy areas to let them know that a particular bill of interest uh, is up for debate or a motion. Uh, and we had a number of the of those over the last fortnight. Uh, one particular was about my motion to get a biosecurity inquiry set up into... We're, we're going to that a bit. Yeah, yeah so there were quite a few robust uh, uh, debates in the chamber. Um, a, a nice way of saying that there were a lot of people who had different views of, of the world on biosecurity, but the Senate uh, thankfully did support my motion to get that supported. But in order to do so, you have to ensure you have a, enough speakers in the chamber uh, to present the arguments for and against, and in my case, on the for side, making sure that we got that uh, motion up. Um, so that's one of many, I guess, sort of the challenges that I have in a sitting week. People think uh, it's a good time to come and meet me, um, and it always is, um, but it is very difficult because I spend a lot of my time in the chamber managing and assisting our chief whip uh, with managing the chamber and, and the functions. So we're, we're like the engineers keeping the, uh, the machinery in check, if, and uh, if something goes wrong, well, we've got to go there and, and, and make sure we fix it. Um, there's, I guess, other uh, roles in the chamber, whether you have the leader of the Senate and the manager of the Senate, they have other roles in terms of the more broader strategic views of, of where the government and, and the chamber should go. Uh, but certainly from a day-to-day -day, uh, perspective, um, I'm quite busy when we're in Canberra, but always welcome. Uh, you know, a quick cup of coffee with uh, some friends um, who do come to visit Canberra from time to time. <laughs> so we've got, so we, we, we've got we, our. We, we, we forgot something. Yeah, no, we've got to do our. Very disorganised, Matt. You start. 
Well, we're going to do our sixth sense. So it's a quick word association, Raf. Uh, uh, we'll fire a word at you and you just say the first thing that comes to mind and there'll be six of them. <laughs> All right. Andrew, so, sometimes there'll be five because we'll forget. Because <laughs> we, we can't count very well. Yeah. Um, we're, we're the worst, worst, worst mathematics-based uh, analysts <laughs> out there. Um, so first one, first one, first word, agriculture. Ah, oh, red meat. Uh, biosecurity. Uh, sadly, money. Haggis. Haggis. Oh, God. That's, pro- oh, that's usually the response. <laughs> yeah. Next one. Uh, cro- Crocs footwear. Summer, the beach. The new parliament. Uh Quite uh, modern, but also I find striking and bold. And Australian farmers. Oh, patriots. <laughs> there you go. Very good. That was Very an easy good. one, that one. That was easy. So easy. just before we, before we move off that aspect of the whip you outlined there, Raf, so as Deputy Whip, do they give you a, either a deputy badge or an actual whip to... To get no, but I did have some who gave me a whip as a joke, so, but we don't get a badge. It's not like you're the deputy sheriff of the, of, of the town. I shot the sheriff. <laughs> what I did is shoot the deputy. But it's such an interesting complex um, place too. Like, you know, having been now in the palm for three and a half years, um, and you look back and you think, wow, you know, I've been able to – not just be a senator, and and that's probably the most important role, representing people and and but finding your niche, finding areas of interest, and on top of that, having all these other roles, whilst the whole world just goes by, and um, it's been a really um, fascinating and, and look, it's been a privilege the last three and a half years. Sadly, we had COVID and um, made it really hard for me to actually get out to the regions and talk to more farmers and, and folks in, in our wonderful regions and rural communities. That's um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Raf, because we've bumped into you a few times now. I think it was at, the have. first one was at National Farmers Conference in Canberra, and then we saw you again in Ballarat. You came up to the Vic Farmers uh, Conference, and it sounds like you do – like you, you're a city boy originally, right? I so am. Well, you're like, a, a boy from the same area. You know? we're, very, we're from very – yeah, we're, yeah uh, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, uh, I think, yes. yeah. We would have. I'm a little bit older than Raf, though, so I, we, I might have. 20, you know, fair, fair, you're about 30 years older. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> Raf, when Raf went to Lasers on Springboro Road, there, you know, uh, I would have been gone, gone and done by the time um, he was probably hanging out at the nightclubs in, in and around, you know, those southeastern suburbs. Um, but uh, but always young at heart, heart, mate. Always young at heart. <laughs> but we um, we have bumped into you a few times in the ag space. So what what brings a, a city boy effectively out to the regions, and what, what what's the interest and the love in ag that we can see in you. Why is that? Well, I guess being an Italian uh, as well, I should start. Um, yeah, southeastern suburbs grew up, but with a really strong Italian family, um, that connection to land has never really left me. Um, just from a young age, been out in the garden, um, especially my aunt and uncle's place, um, quarter acre block, you know, suburban Melbourne in Oakley. Um, you got chooks, rabbits, quails. Um, you know, all sorts of wonderful animals that would annoy the hell out of uh, our neighbours, especially those of the Anglo backgrounds, uh, not understanding why is it that we've got all these smelly things next door. But 
that's who we were and I guess that's sort of what my parents and and my family did when they were back in Italy and that sort of connection to to land uh, is still ingrained in me and very important and it's sad to see a lot of people particularly uh, children these days not actually understand where our food and fiber actually comes from and the one positive that came out of COVID really was about teaching and it forced people to actually understand where does our food and fiber come from uh, a lot more of my friends and their children asking questions about you know how important our agriculture industry is um, you know where does the food that we get from our supermarket shelves uh, how's it produced how's it made you know we're now doing salamis again at fam with my family my brother and cousin have um, taken that up over the last couple of years um, and it just really, I think, is great to see a lot of those old school traditions coming back. But again, educating people. It's so important that we educate, um, uh, I guess, our next generation of, of leaders to understand and appreciate what our farmers do. Uh, you know, it's a bloody hard job getting up at crack of dawn, whether you're milking cows or, you know, having to put seed in the ground for the next crop. Or, or, or growing pigs like Matt and I. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of, is, speaking of making making salamis, Salami. we, we, you know, we could yeah. we could have we could provide you with some product there. Our own our own label. But it, and so fun. Like ag is such a fun industry to work in, and people really don't understand the the amount of career opportunities that it offers as well too. It's not just being a farmer, um, but there's a marketing there's finance there's insurance um you know there's a lot of other cool and sexy roles in agriculture but being a farmer is actually a great job too and mm -hmm. for a lot of people they just want that appreciation um so we've had a lot of challenges but look um i've probably got off tangent from the original uh, question allowed, you asked me, allowed, but no, i really do have that connection um to to the land um and one of the things I taught myself. I told myself when I first came into Parliament, uh, being someone who was heavily involved in industrial relations, was to have an open mind mm -hmm. and learn. You know, use this opportunity in Parliament to also learn things outside of the domain that I'd been in the last probably decade. Mm -hmm. um, I studied, became a financial planner, worked in that sector for a little bit. Um, I was volunteering with the Labor Party uh, since the age of 16 and joined when I was 16. Um, so did that on the side, worked for uh, my local member while I was at university and then end up uh, getting a job as an advisor uh, when Prime Minister Kevin Rudd and Julie Gillard were in power and, and again did work in the workplace relations space. But since coming to Parliament, um, one of my first engagements was with the former Senator Christina Keneally we had a round table in Shepparton to deal with the, the issue of labour shortage, uh, mm. particularly in agriculture. It's uh, huge. It, and, and it's going to get worse. Huge issue. It's getting worse. But also, it's such a huge issue right across our economy right now. But that was my first engagement. And from there, I sort of fell in love with both ag and, and realised what this industry is so, so great. And it's got so much potential. And probably sadly hasn't had the the um, the the spotlight that it deserves, the, the recognition of the great work that it contributes to our economy. Um, and I took it upon myself to really become a lot more involved in that industry. The other one being national security as well too. And they've probably mm -hmm. been the two passions of mine over the last three and a half years. 
the two are very intertwined. Um, I wrote a piece for Aspie uh, a couple of years ago about agriculture being the new national security um, frontier in some ways. The, 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 the two of them are so important and seeing what's playing out right now, uh, given our geopolitical issues, um, with rising inputs in costs, I mean, farmers having to either make tough decisions about not planting as much, not growing as much, not having as much investment in their farm, or having to increase the cost. Either way, the consumer is going to pay more for it and the country will suffer as well too. Mm-hmm. Um, and also being less reliant on overseas inputs. You know, urea was another classic example yeah, like yeah. This of, um, of what not having a strong manufacturing sector can do, uh, can actually have some really devastating impacts on, on our economy. So look, broadly, um, ag and, and, and national security are, are the two areas of my interest uh, will continue to be. I'm now the, the chair of the Senate's Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade Committee. Plus, I'm also a member of our Rural, Regional and Transport Committee, which looks into uh, issues like biosecurity, which we had our first inquiry only a few days ago. Yeah, I, was going to, I was going to ask about that, yeah. So obviously you're, you're now in, let's call it in power. So you've had a couple of years on on the on the opposite side. It must be it must be more enjoyable. You uh, you can actually do a bit more, I guess. And so you you called that that Senate inquiry into the the biosecurity response, obviously mainly towards FMD. Uh, what was the purpose of that? Of calling? Yeah, it? well, not just FMD, but also lumpy skin. Um, mm. I guess the concern, and, and I must say, there's been a lot of bipartisanship on on these issues. So we do work very well. Um, people may not see that, but I think it's fair to say most of the time the media like to focus on that probably 10 or 12 percent of issues yeah. uh, and make it out to be that it's the, you know, that we are actually always not working with each other. But we do work very closely, uh, whether the opposition or the crossbench on, on issues of importance like this. Um, for me, biosecurity was such an important issue that it really deserves a lot more attention, particularly around our funding uh, streams. There were a lot of uh, concerns from peak bodies, particularly the National Farmers Federation uh, and others that have said, look, we really need to address how we fund our biosecurity long term rather than this sort of ad hoc short term approach. Um, there have been a lot of discussions in the parliament, in the previous parliament on, on this issue as well, too. So it was only timely that we got an inquiry. Um, and as you would have seen too during the course of uh, the last few days, uh, Minister Murray White also announced a national strategy into our biosecurity. <coughs> the first time that we've ever had that, and I was quite surprised that Australia, an island mm. nation, a country that is so proud about our our ag industry and one of the world's best biosecurity um, arrangements, never had a national strategy around biosecurity. And it does bring back memories of what happened some decades ago about biosecurity concerns. And really, if we're going to take all these threats seriously, we need to have a national plan, but a national plan that's backed by funding on a much more consistent, sustainable manner rather than, oh, well, let's just throw a few million dollars in this budget or or next budget. Senators... Senator, I was just going to ask around that biosecurity. I mean, it's, it's obviously important to a country like Australia, but we are also... Well, it's, it's important for market access more than anything. Yeah. Yes, but but that's what I'm coming to as well, the market aspects, aspects side of it, but more from the perspective too that the, the biosecurity is needed to keep us safe and needed to keep industry safe here, but it also in some 
areas in terms of with our trading partners, it can be viewed as being a non-trade barrier. So how how difficult is that balancing act, do you think, between making sure we're doing the right things to keep the country clean and safe, um, but also not being too stringent that we're, you know, we're, we're open to kind of criticism of saying, you know, part of our biosecurity strategy is, is, a, is a non-trade barrier. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me countries roll their eyes about Australia's tough biosecurity, but at the end of the day, they, they want our product. You know, our product is not just a standard product, it's premium quality. Um, it's It's got that green, um, you know, environmentally safe, um, product that has a premium, and, and I think our, our, I guess, strength as a, as a country is that we can sell our our, our products uh, at a much higher price, getting a better return for our farmers because people do trust Australia. They trust the brand. They trust when they see it's made or a product of Australia, they know they're going to get good value for money. Um, and you know, quite frankly, the countries that are probably complaining are the ones that are trying to export their crap into our country and, <laughs> and quite frankly not to be blunt about it but it's just not the same level of quality that you'd expect that our farmers can produce mm. so you know i think you've got to compare what it is that we're exporting or trying to import but it's important that we do have strong borders to make sure that we do all we can to protect our our uh, our farmers and you know the the lumpy skin for instance um mm. you know I think that really kicked off a lot of the conversations this year. Um, we just can't afford to damage our reputation with our red meat, uh, with our livestock. Um, so many people are dependent on on their um, on their farms. That's their mm. livelihoods, and we should do everything we can as a government, them. as a parliament, to protect people in the, in those positions. It's it's, so, it's interesting because obviously there's not been a, a national biosecurity plan yet, yeah. and and so. That's something that is important to have because I think what we've, I guess, from my point of view, what we've seen from COVID was all these sort of states with different rules mm. makes it difficult. Even Veromite in New South Wales, yep. you've got issues between Victoria and New South Wales between different rules. Maybe that's the next thing is a national drought policy. You know, that's that's been talked about for since we were children, probably. Yeah, and, and Veromite's so, also been added to that inquiry as mm. well. So. Um, <clears throat> But really, it's not just the Commonwealth's responsibility here. This is a shared response between the Commonwealth and the states and territories. Um, the Commonwealth can only do so much at the border. Yep. But if there is an issue already here, well, that's where the state governments also need to step up uh, and actually fund, uh, adequately fund their biosecurity measures in their, st in their jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important, like, for, for me too, like, we are trying to get to that $100 billion uh, industry goal uh, of growing ag, currently around 81 billion. Uh, but by having strong measures in place, it allows us to do that. As soon as you have biosecurity uh, concerns in the country, it actually hurts confidence. Yep. And we've already seen that um, where people um, are, are starting to probably think twice about buying certain products connected to foot and mouth disease. Um, there have been a lot of producers who have told me that overseas uh businesses that would have ordinarily bought our our product um actually starting to go well do we really want to buy australian product that might have foot and mouth disease knowing that it's not here but there's always that concern so there's already been some consumer confidence that's been impacted on on people purchasing our product and 
that's not great. That's not a good position to be in. And you know, we cannot afford also to let people, uh, I guess, scare the bejesus out of uh, out of people from buying one of the world's, if not the world's best product from from Australia. You so mentioned I, uh, you mentioned as well, Senator, um, around like countries that wanting to bring product in, and obviously the biosecurity risk is partially in that product coming in, but also you know travellers coming into the country. So the inquiry was looking across the board at not just the the travel with uh, you know visitors coming or tourists coming back from Bali and what was happening at the airport in terms of checkpoints. It was also looking at product that's getting mailed in or product that's coming in, whether it's coming in, uh, you know, authorised or it's coming in inauthorised channels, unauthorised channels. It was it was across the spectrum, wasn't it? Correct. And we've had now the strongest biosecurity measures ever undertaken by any federal government. Uh, we're now screening every piece of mail from China and from Indonesia. Um, we've also got so, those that, that, sanitation. That's good, that's good inside knowledge. I can still continue to get haggis brought in from Scotland then. <laughs> You can bring your haggis in, mate. She'll be right. Um, um, also, the good the good got... thing is not, none of the cows or pigs would actually touch it. They just sniff it and go away. <laughs> and also the sanitation mats, which has had a lot of um, focus as well too. Uh, you know, all our international airports now have those mats installed. Um, but in, in order to install it, it does take time to actually order, bring them in, get them manufactured. And these were some of the concerns that I flagged in our inquiry, like when did the previous government start to order uh, those foot mats? Well, the answer was they didn't. So it wasn't until the new government came in, uh, Minister Murray Watt asked the department to to look at the options, and they ordered those those mats into into Australia and to have them installed as quickly as possible. Sadly, we just don't have the manufacturing capability in this country to make those mats. Um, if we did, we probably would have had them here a lot sooner. So it's about trying to forward plan. Think ahead. Um, how do we mitigate those risks? But certainly um, having those mats, ensuring that we scan every piece of mail from hotspot countries like Indonesia and China, I think is, is a good step. Yep. Uh, and it's not to say the government won't take further steps in the future, uh, but certainly uh, making sure that we alleviate any concerns that uh, the farmers and industry groups have actually flagged with us. Um, ensuring that when people do get off a plane, you know, reminding them that, uh, to answer those uh, those those cards that people get off uh, off the off their journey back into Australia, truthfully, um, and interrogating those that um, have come off planes, particularly from Indonesia and from China. Um, we know, and there'll be a lot of data that will show that certain parts of the world um, are hotspots, and we want to make sure that people do the right thing by us. Absolutely. There are new ads as well, too, on the planes in different languages. Um, but the government does want to see agriculture grow and grow to that $100 billion uh, industry target. Um, and I guess the other area, too, worth is looking at how do we diversify our trade? I know you touched on trade earlier. Um, it shouldn't be business as usual. We should look at always at improving and our dialogue, our relationships with countries like Indonesia and others in Southeast Asia, but how can we also better diversify our trade markets? Get as many free trade agreements as possible. Well, that's one step, but I think it's having those relationships with the countries mm. is important too. You might have some written in paper, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, it's that relationship um, between the two countries that's so much more important than any other piece of paper that we might sign
You mentioned your interest, uh, Senator, about national security, and we've had a well, we had um, John Blackburn. Deputy, yeah, John Blackburn, <coughs> Deputy Air Force Chief, I think, um, now retired, that spoke about vice our, vice air marshal. Vice air marshal. Yeah, I can't remember. I thought it was Deputy Chief. You, you've got you've got you've got Army versus Air Force. I've got, I've, got, I've got deputy on the mind because I'm speaking to the deputy The now. deputy sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but he was on a little while back on the podcast talking about Australia's fuel security, which is a crucial thing. And, and you mentioned about inputs to farmers. And the other thing I guess I'd add to the mix would be our fertiliser security. And you mentioned as well urea. What do you think in terms of like moving forward, what do you think does, do we need to do to, to kind of make sure, even from a national security perspective, that we've got the capacity to make out, you know, have enough fuel domestically and have enough hurt being made domestically. Yeah, and it's been um, interesting the last uh, probably year and a half to find out that our fuel supplies or our reserves are over, over in the United States. Um, you know, we only have about a few weeks of fuel in this country should something happen. And then to wait for that supply to come over from the States, it's just mind-blowing when you really think about how we got ourselves into this position. So part of our um, strategy and the, the government's plan that, that they took to the last election was to have actually uh, about a month, at least a month's worth of fuel supply here. Um, many in the business community, the unions have been calling for this for some time. Um, and look, the minister that's that's looking after that for energy will be uh, working with the industry about how we can actually ensure that we do have those fuel supplies in this country. Um, we, we've lost a couple of other refineries. Mm. We're now down to two, um, which is quite concerning. Um, so we've got to start to get our uh, fuel production back up and having our capacity increased. So that is an area that the government is is working on with the industry at the moment. Um, urea and the other imports, um, not just that timber. I mean, I've spoken a lot in Parliament yeah. about timber shortage. <laughs> Pallets, you know, if we can't actually move some of these products around, um, that also then adds to extra costs that the that the ultimately the farmer then has to pass on to the to uh, consumers. Um, we did have a policy, and the um, the then government now opposition also supported us on um, providing a bit more support to manufacturing of urea in this country. Mm-hmm. So there is um, some moves movements on that front, which is good. Yep. Again, another area of, of bipartisanship. But again, it took a, a, a pandemic to sort of bring a lot of these issues to light. Uh, we do rely heavily on China for our fertilisers. I mean, the vast majority of our fertilisers comes from overseas, uh, particularly from China. Um, there are some logistical issues about transporting fertiliser around. Um, and whether we need to look at making more of that here is certainly something that I think we all should have a, a, a pretty honest discussion about. It, it, it is interesting, though, isn't it? Like when, when you think about human sort of psychology, you, you just get used to everything and you're happy with everything. And then it is something like COVID that makes yeah. us think about supply chains. FMD makes you think about an LSD makes you think about biosecurity. It is a shame that we have to wait till there's a disaster before we actually start yeah. planning yeah. for things. Yeah, correct. Um, but again, all, all this adds to the cost of why things like lettuce is going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, and, and now with unemployment being so low, uh, the other area that the government is also and will be discussing with many mm-hmm. businesses in, in the job summit um, in September is about migration. Um, you know, 
the the issues around workforce shortages, as we touched on earlier, uh, is not just an area that is impacting agriculture, but Everything. certainly other parts of our our economy as well too. Um, and it's important that we do have the right level of migration in this country to support um, areas of skill shortages. But one area that I also looked at the last parliament too was an inquiry into temporary migration. And one of the recommendations out of that was trying to work with industry, with our education uh, institutions, with government to identify those gaps early on and trying to encourage local Australians to then go into those fields um, rather than sort of, as we just mentioned, you know, wait for a pandemic to happen and then go, gee, we've got a problem and where do we find, you know, people to actually fill these gaps? That training... That the training aspect's an important part. There's a there's training a skills. Yeah, there's this, Andrew and I have been presenting late, lately uh, around the country, and one of the slides I show when we talk about labour shortage is actually the different cohorts of uh, participants in the workforce and and splitting them up between those with a disability, uh, Indigenous people, and also um, cohorts that have got uh, low level English skills. Low level English English skills, and um and so you can see how much more disengaged from either study, training or workforce those three cohorts are compared to the rest of the the, the, the kind of country. Um, and so we've got, you know, in some areas in the disability sector, you've got, you know, 60 to 70 percent disengagement through their life um, that they're not studying, they're not working and they're not, you know, doing any training. Um, so we've got, we do have, I think, even though the employment rate is or unemployment rate is so low, um, there are some areas, like you're saying, that we could look at where we're missing some capacity that we might be able to, you know, kind of satisfy domestically as well as, you know, looking at bringing in foreign workers as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's an opportune time to really uh, look at all all of those uh, issues and, and say, well, how how can we get the economy working and getting back on its feet? Um, so we don't get into a situation like this again. Uh, but there's always been those ongoing issues, I guess, around labour in ag. Uh, you know, they can be hard jobs, but they are rewarding jobs. Um, but it's important that people are given those opportunities, uh, especially locals. But if we can't, well, you know, migration, there's no issue of having migrants in this country. I mean, my parents did a lot of jobs when they first came to Australia. Um, and it, it is a great story to tell that we are very open and welcoming of, of migration in this country and speaking benefit of, from it immensely. Speaking of migration, this week is 12 years of me being in Australia and most wow. people most people wouldn't realise I was Scottish and a migrant because my accent's gone, but 12 years. I could not tell. No. <laughs> you, you mentioned you mentioned earlier too, Raf, about the, the variety of work in the ag space, and, and I think you used the word <coughs> sec sexy to describe um, some of the jobs in ag, and I was just thinking that probably the sexiest of jobs in ag is being an agricultural market analyst, would you say, Andrew? Yeah, but we don't we don't want any more migration because we want to keep supply down. We want to balance supply of analysts versus demand for analysts. Um, so we, we want that taken off of the uh, immigration skills list, if possible. <laughs> F five or six is okay, no more than that. So. Well, I mean, the skills list. Otherwise, we have to it, cut it, our prices. The skills and, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting to see where the conversations go on, on these issues and um, the need for businesses to be adaptive responding to needs, um, but also the economy has been 
you know, rebounding very quickly. But mm. I think we've got to really unlock our potential by having, um, you know, the right migration settings in this country. Um, and, you know, for a lot of um, farms, you know, if they had the extra body or two, uh, uh, it would really allow them to actually grow the business um, just that bit more. But right now, you know, whether you're an analyst or or or, or uh, someone who's just picking and packing uh, on on a local farm, I think it's important that um, you know we really do get behind the industry and and try and promote it, especially mm-hmm. now that we're starting to finally open up our economy and and people can start to move around again, which is it, it it's a weird feeling being back in Parliament and having so many people in the one room, but <laughs> I'm glad that we are sort of hopefully past um, the pandemic. So what what has been uh, four four months of you being in the in the hot seat in the uh, yeah. in, in in power? What's been the biggest change you've seen? What's been the biggest takeaway from that period? What do what do you think the Labour government's done well since then? I think resetting our relationships overseas is important. Mm. Um, I think for a lot of people, uh, they said, "Oh, why why you know why are we spending so much time away?" I mean, one of the very first things that the Prime Minister did when we won the election was to go over to Japan. Uh, participant quad um, and really from then I think he's just gone from strength to strength if we don't repair the relationship with our overseas partners how do we then expect to have that those trade relationships so there are economic benefits by having strong relationships in the point that I went to earlier on in our conversation so having strong relationships with particularly countries in our region I think is paramount because it not just benefits the country, it benefits everyone. Our economy will be uh, much better for it. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, um, you know, we've obviously had a, a number of issues like biosecurity that have come up, and I think the government's been, been very proactive in, in addressing those um, concerns um, and really starting to get me more confidence uh, back in the economy. You know, inflation is going up. But there is a lot more optimism, I think, in in the economy. People are feeling a little bit more uh, optimistic over the short to medium term than they were, let's say, two years ago when the pandemic first hit. Um, and I really want to be able to work with with industry in making sure that that momentum continues. Um, but like every opportunity, every challenge that comes up, there are opportunities around the corner. And I think we've really, really got to seize the day. Um, you know, our supply chain, how do we start to make more things in this country? You know, let's start having those conversations. Let's start investing in manufacturing. Um, let's start being less reliant on overseas um, inputs and start making more of that here. And, you know, at the end of the day, Andrew, I mean, it's going to benefit workers because there'll be more jobs, high paid mm-hmm. jobs, uh, skillful jobs, um, and not just for us, but for our children in the future as well. I think it's it's been an, it's been a, I would say from from an agricultural point of view, I would have to think it's been a baptism of fire though. Yeah. In, ter- in terms of like Murray Watt, in terms of having three months in, all of this happening has been pretty. Would have been the toughest first three months of any agricultural He's got portfolio. Portfolios. I mean, mm. um, as, and, and the um, floods. I was just about <laughs> to say that. Like he's had the natural disasters happen, and again, you know, our farms have been so resilient, but. You know, I really do hope we get around them and support them enough because, you know, there's only so much one farmer can take after, you know, year in, year out, and you just see your farm just being washed away. Um, 
they're bloody tough and resilient mob and I just sort of take my hat off all my Cooper that's sort of behind me but um, yeah. <laughs> to all the farmers out there because um, without you you know we wouldn't be, you know be here today we really wouldn't be able to put the food, food on our table you know the, the food that we take all for granted um, and again that's an area that I, I'd like to see um, us all work together on how we can improve and educate people about uh, the benefits of our agriculture industry. I was just looking there when you pointed out that you're a Cooper senator, because um, the, the listeners wouldn't know that we record this on Zoom and we can obviously see each other. And I'd noticed below you're a Cooper is a bloody Collingwood Football Club champion, something or other. And I mean, that, wrong with that. had we realised that, we might have cut this interview ten minutes shorter, Andrew. Um, but um, as an Italian immigrant... Well, well, well neither, neither of us know anything yeah, about I'm just going to move Neither of us know much about football, but growing up with Italians, I do know that, that most Italians that I, I knew growing up would follow Carlton Football Club for obvious reasons with Ligon Street. So I'm a bit dubious as to you know, your heritage now where you've got this Collingwood thing in the background, so I'm not quite sure now if you really, um, truly are Italian or whether... They want you, you know. to think that all Italians go for Carlton, but I can tell there's a very, very large number that go for Collingwood and a very solid, loyal group, and we're doing really well at the moment, second on the ladder and working our way to the top. We, we need to we need to scramble to sh- shut down this podcast quickly, Andrew, because neither are you. N- we don't, we don't, know, we don't know any responses about yeah, football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just my, my my main comment about I like AFL to watch occasionally, uh, but my main comment is it's not really football because you use your hands, but that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can use your foot to kick the ball. <laughs> yeah, well, if you use your hands as a penalty in a, in real football, but. <laughs> So, so, yeah, but it's an interesting, like, I guess you are right, agriculture, my main takeaway is, my main thoughts for agriculture in 12 years in Australian ag is I like how small it is and, and how you can go somewhere and you can bump into people and get on with them pretty easily because you've all gone through the same sort of things and you all tend to know each other and, and you don't get that in any other industry, I don't think, or at least I don't know because I've been in ag for my whole life, so. Yeah, well, there's a lot of um, strong relationships that I've also built and mm. just seen the connection or the fact that I sort of keep bumping into you boys uh, at, <laughs> at events um, is just a testament to the fact that the, the industry supports each other, you know, mm. regardless of whatever the event is, but we all sort of get behind one another um, and actually I share stories. Well, how is it that folk in horticulture deal with uh, a an issue that mm. red meat might, that... Mm. Uh, you know, others in the poultry. Um, so it's, even, even though it's diverse, there's a lot of common issues uh, that the industry as a whole can actually tackle. But that's also that's also another thing, if you work in workforce relation, workplace relations and, and manufacturing, I still think the same applies there as well, across industries, mm. across from that manufacturing industries to, to agriculture, because agriculture is a manufacturing industry. Well, certainly the, the abattoir yeah. red meat space, that's, I think if you consider, even though they're disassembling the product, <laughs> um, that's still a manufacturing process, mm-hmm. and I believe it's the biggest if you call, you know, abattoir work or meatworks manufacturing of that well, sense, it's, it's yeah, that it's the biggest employer in terms of manufacturer employer in the country now is the uh, is the abattoirs. Mm. And, and that whole supply chain is so important. You know, again, mm. that's where people just don't understand how it's all sort of interconnected. Mm. Um, it all starts at the farm somewhere. 
and then it all works its way through where it's well, the trucks well, or the factories or the abattoirs and then it just happens it just it doesn't just magically appear on your supermarket shelves and that's one of the things that we try and get across because we we work across that whole supply chain different different elements of it from farm to to plate or yeah. or in many cases supermarket mary baines with the chico rolls but the reality is that uh, it is a whole supply chain issue and and that everybody in the supply chain has to make a crust in order for the next person to make a crust and i think that's that's one of the things in the past maybe 10 years ago wasn't really taken into account there's a lot of combativeness you know we're the farmer we want everything or we're the supply chain we want everything whereas now everyone realizes it well i don't think they even call it supply chain it's a value chain now and uh or I value think, add I mean, value add chain like yeah and and that's what the all the supply chain does effectively a farm is value adding fertilizer and diesel and seed turn it into a crop so i think it's it's a good viewpoint to have on it so yes. we'll probably leave you there raf because you know you're, you're a busy person and we don't want to uh, keep you too long unless you've got any final thoughts i had one final, it's been very generous with you tom senator but one final Sorry. query one follow query regarding your salami manufacturer. Is there any caraway seed or, or, or chili that goes into those salamis, or is it just paprika? That yeah. we go into. Um, definitely pepper um, and salt. You obviously need the salt. Um, so I'm going to apply it with a bit of fennel. Mm -hmm. Ah, fennel seed. Fennel seed. That was what I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Fennel. Yeah. Uh, there's still a bit of experimenting um, that we do, uh, but you know, it's it just just a great time to bond, get family together, friends, and, and really um, cherish the traditions that our family have done for, for many, many years. But, um, you know, I, I certainly anyone that's watching this, certainly uh, give it a crack. If not, you know, you've you got nothing to lose. And it's just a, 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 absolutely, an appreciation absolutely. of, I guess, what our, our ag sector can do as well too. But, yeah, and um, using more pork product is always a good thing. It's always a good thing, yeah. <laughs> All right, no, thank you, thank, thank you uh, for, for your time, Senator. It's been fantastic. Hopefully we'll bump into you again soon in the person at another ag event. Um, but until I'm then, sure we'll, we will. Um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll see you when you've got nothing on. Good on sure you, boys. Take care. See ya.